Hey everybody, welcome back to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen. Today is the third episode of this three-episode series that we're doing on virtual flipping. Today we talked about some unbelievable stuff with Therese Anderson, one of our Seven Figure Altitude members. She's a realtor. They're house flippers. They're flipping virtually. They're selling houses virtually. And we talked about everything that goes into getting top dollar for your flipped house or your personal house or whatever house that you're selling. We went through the whole process. We went a lot deeper than I thought we were going to go, but there is so much gold in here and tips that will save you tens, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 uh, and, and save you money, sell your houses for more money. This is a must listen, whether you're flipping virtually or not, it doesn't matter. Um, it really is a very similar process, but you can't miss this one. Stay tuned. My name is Bill Allen, and I'm the leader of a group of elite house flippers and wholesalers called Seven Figure Flipping. We don't brag or show off our success, but instead let integrity and stewardship be our guide. We are dedicated to helping people unlock the freedom they desperately need. If you ask other real estate investors, they will say to keep your secrets quiet. But we believe in abundance, not scarcity. And that's why we are the elite. We are Seven Figure Flipping, and this podcast is our playbook. All right, everybody, we're back with episode three of this three-episode series that we're doing. Um, if, you're a virtual, if you're an investor that's living in an expensive market or um, in an area that you don't necessarily want to invest in, or you might even be considering going to a second market or a third market, or you're not sure what to do, I think this series is just what you need. So episode one, we talked about uh, analyzing the numbers, so how to buy when you're not living in the market that you're in. Episode two, we talked about uh, fixing up the property, how to find contractors, um, how to pay contractors, how to hire them, how to talk to them, how to run the projects. And today in episode three, what we're going to talk about is how do you sell those projects? So you don't live there. Um, you're, you may or may not list them yourself. Just kind of some of the chips and tr tips and tricks of how you can sell these properties for top dollar when you're not even living in the market and some things to think about, lessons learned, all that stuff. So um, we've got another seven-figure altitude member with us today. So the first two were also seven-figure altitude members that uh, Jesse Trujillo on the first episode and Beth Turner. If you haven't listened to those, go back and listen to them and then catch up with us on this episode today because this is the third. It's kind of like adding on to those other two episodes. So today I've got a good friend of mine, an absolutely amazing investor, realtor. Uh, she knows everything about selling property. She's gonna make sure that you get the most money that you can. Um, even if you are flipping locally, you gotta listen to this one too. Uh, Therese Anderson. Therese, welcome to the podcast. Great, thank you for having me on, Bill. I appreciate it. So Yeah, um, I'm, so I'm happy to have you here. Before we get started, um, tell everybody, like I know we both wanna jump like right into it. Um, tell everybody a little bit about uh, you and uh, kind of your story. Perfect. Uh, well, uh, my husband and I, Robert and I um, lived in Colorado and we just recently last year, uh, about a year and a half ago, moved to Florida. Uh, we were flipping about three hours away from our house in Colorado. And then um, we thought uh, before we joined this group that, um, that if you just couldn't flip in an expensive market. Uh, so um, we went back and we decided, all right, well, cool. We're going to move to a less expensive market. <laughs> um, and uh, so we, we uh, went down to Florida, started flipping down there. Um, I am a realtor with Keller Williams, and I continued to actually do my real estate business in Colorado virtually. Uh, so I have an agent boots on the ground in Colorado um, and a transaction coordinator there who, uh, who run my uh, retail real estate business. Um, and, um, yeah, so that's, that's a little bit about us. We've got four kids. Uh, so I always, uh, 
loved that you had kids, Bill, because I always said there's a, you know, a ton of people out there who have podcasts and they don't have kids. And I'm like, you know, how can they, they always never talk about it. They don't understand. It's like trying to juggle 15 things when you have kids and running a business. So, um, yep, yeah. we've got three kids and they're all seem to be in the time of like, they need mommy and daddy all the time, you know, six, four and three. Uh, our middle son has uh, got some special needs stuff going on. And it's just, it's, that's a lot, right? And then we've added uh, 40 animals to our household recently. So we got uh, right about 40 animals now. And so 40 animals, I always say, I don't include the kids or us. Uh, that would be like 45, but you're right. <laughs> and sometimes um, people don't understand how much work that is. And if you don't have kids and you're out there, like go make spend all the time on your business, go make a ton of money and then go have kids because um, I, I feel like Superman. Like if I could go back and I didn't have my three kids, anytime I'm traveling or I'm by myself, I feel like I can get 10 times uh, the work done than I can if I'm at home with all the other things I have to juggle. And I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, hey, so you, you mentioned uh, you're doing uh, your retail real estate business in Colorado. And yep. then you guys are living and flipping down in Florida now after you move from Colorado to Florida. So can you give some context to kind of like numbers, like how many uh, retail uh, transactions are, is your team doing in Colorado? And then what does your flipping business look like? Just so everybody knows. Absolutely. So um, we did 31 transactions last year, which is a little lower than um, a normal year for us uh, because of COVID. We had a lot of restrictions last year. Um, and then also too, just trying to get it up virtually. I think that was a different, uh, a whole different model for me, um, trying to learn a system and model that way. Um, last year for the flipping business, um, we purchased nine, um, which I just want to give you a little context for that. Um, between 2017 and 2019, uh, we had only done, you know, three flips. Um, we did, uh, three house flips. We did, um, we bought a fourplex, which we flipped and then ended up keeping, and then a commercial building that my husband flipped. And um, and I think like the the big catalyst to kind of being able to go even just from that in three years um, was was joining the group um, because in, we started to hear about how other people were doing it. Um, we ended up um, uh, last year purchasing nine, and we ended up flipping six. Um, which was great. We sold six of them. And then um, this year, we're already at a point where we are, um, we have about 10 projects going on right now. We have uh, two that just closed. <laughs> yeah, already just the first quarter um, and about eight projects, uh, two that just closed. And then we have eight projects going right now. So that's- All right, uh, two follow-up questions from that. And I think we'll save one of them till the end because I'd really like to know, you know, even just going from three- uh, the first those three years to nine last year to now 10 going at one time, like that's a huge jump, right? So yeah. there's something that had to change mindset wise. Let's save that question to the end. Um, okay. And I, I want to ask you, you said you had nine, you you sold six. I'm sure everybody driving around and listening to this is wondering what happened to the other three? What'd you guys do with the other three? Um, the other three are, are just kind of rolled over into the next year. So, um, so we kind of got those at the end. Uh, we really flipped, we really started our first flip last year um, in March. So right as coronavirus hit, we bought our first property and we went, oh no, uh, what's going to happen? Is the market going to fall? Like what's going to change? You know, we actually flipped that house um, with our kids. So it was uh, daddy daycare basically is what I said. Uh, so we have, um, like I said, we have four kids, uh, 14, 16, 19, and 21. And um, three of them are still at home with us. And my husband took all three of them. 
um, and brought them to the site. They helped do painting. They helped paint the cabinets. They uh, learned light electrical. <laughs> they, they got to do a lot of the fun stuff like that, which was really awesome. Um, and uh, so that, that was a really fun experience. Um, and then once we kind of realized that things weren't changing and with kind of some mentorship and with you guys, uh, we were like, okay, we've got to get on this and find more deals. And so that's what we did. We just got back on the horse and, and started buying more deals. So, um, and this year we, we kind of, our goal is to flip, um, is to purchase 30. So that's, that's our goal. I know, I know big daunting thing, uh, purchase 30. So that would be, uh, uh, that's our big goal for the year. So, wow, that's huge. So maybe we, we, if we have time at the end, we'll get into a little bit of the mindset stuff. Cause I think it's important for people to hear, um, one more before we jump into the, the meat of what we're going to talk about. You said you thought you couldn't flip in an expensive market and you almost like left me in a cliffhanger. Like, can you flip in an expensive market? Like maybe how, what are your feelings like that now? Because there might be some people listening that are thinking about going virtual and I'm interested to hear if, if your advice is to do that or, or, or what? Uh, well, I mean, we actually ended up going and starting to flip back in Colorado now. So we just purchased um, uh, one property and we are uh, entertaining another one out there. Um, so I, I don't think that it was a limiting belief, absolutely, that we couldn't, you know, continue to flip in that market. And so, um, but at the same time, we, I, I would have to say, uh, going to a market that had better profit margins has, has worked better for us um, personally. Uh, but I, I, it's totally, it's, it's totally possible to still do it in your area. I think you just have to be a little more aggressive in, in finding the deal. Do you think that you guys doing it now is part of your growth and your path and journey that you've been on and you might not have been able to do it or, um, it, without that kind of mindset change or some of those things, or do you feel like you could have just, you know, a year ago or two years ago, just started flipping right where you lived? Um, I think with a, I think we we did have that limiting belief um, that we couldn't, um, and that there just wasn't enough margin or uh, enough deals out there, which I totally know now is <laughs> uh, probably not true. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do think this model is working well for us. And and now, like I said, we're almost reversing it, where we're like, okay, cool. Well, we can't now. We've learned some things. Um, we've, we've had some mentorship and figuring out how to do those things and we can go back there now and, and really analyze things from a different perspective. So, so you guys are pretty much doing exactly what this three series, uh, podcast is on is now you're going from, you've moved from Florida and you're going back to where you used to live and flipping virtually right now. So perfect. I think we, uh, we can jump into it. So what are some, um, what are some things to think about? So now we've got the property, we ran the numbers. Um, we purchased the property, we have got a contractor, we fixed it all up. And maybe now if you can take it from, we're doing the kind of like the punch out list and we're trying to figure out how to best get the most money that we can for this property and not living in that area where you can't just go walk through it, take a look at it, make sure it's good. Um, or maybe you recommend that people fly out there and spend the money to do that stuff. So what, what do you guys do um, in that, um, at that point? So you're basically finished up the renovation you're going through the punch list and trying to figure out listing and all that stuff. What are some, some advice that you have for everybody? Absolutely. Uh, so one thing I would highly recommend, uh, you guys have talked a lot about having a realtor come through the house um, prior to, to purchasing. That's definitely been a key. Um, and I certainly do. I'll walk the property, make sure, you know, point out things um, prior to us listing that, um, 
you know, things as simple as like, um, you forgot to hang the, you know, toilet paper holder. Um, <laughs> things that like contractors sometimes just brush over that would really drive a, uh, a homeowner crazy. Uh, the other key for us has been, and this has been, I would probably say hand over fist is um, having a stager. So um, our, I, ironically, our daughter uh, stage, it picks out all our material, our 19 year old daughter, Hannah, she picks out all our materials and she stages all our houses, which has been great to have a live-in um, stager. But this is something I would highly recommend to other flippers. Um, staging also gives a presence of, this is how you live in this house. And it also, uh, light staging um, also gives, uh, you know, if it's a smaller room, if you do something light in that room, um, it just makes that room seem bigger. Add a mirror, put, you know, extra furniture, you know, little pieces of furniture here or there. Um, show what that house really looks like. Um, I also think that smell is super important. So I know as weird as this sounds, um, we, uh, we buy fragrances that really attract people. Um, when, when they come into the house, you want them to feel like, oh, this is home uh, or this, the house smells amazing. It doesn't smell like a job site. Um, so some people don't like the smell of paint. Uh, you and I do probably. <laughs> We're like, ah, oh, it's done. It smells like good paint in here. Um, but some people don't really like that smell. So we try to find um, fragrances to make the house smell good too. And I think that presentation of walking through and seeing a house just beautifully laid out uh, gives you more, uh, more dollar um, uh, on the property. Okay. So let's, let's go a little bit. You, you mentioned kind of the contractor finish versus the realtor finish. And we've talked about that in the past. Contractors will just kind of finish up the property and be like, I'm done. And they won't <laughs> look at it from a buyer standpoint. So I always like to have that, that realtor walk through or it usually it used to be me, but now it needs to be a realtor or some boots on the ground that I trust that yeah. looks at it like a buyer would and said, well, this isn't done. This, there's these little things. And once, once a buyer looks at those little things and sees imperfections, they're going to start digging deeper, I find. Um, and you mentioned staging. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Like, what are some of the costs that you would recommend people pay for staging? You said light staging. Should you sure. stage all the houses? Like, let's go a little bit deeper in staging and talk about um, like exactly how you guys do it for your houses. Sure. Well, we, we hired Hannah as our, uh, she's kind of a junior project manager for us. So she also does our staging. Um, so that's kind of an in-house um, built into uh, our everyday costs. Um, people can expect to pay, I think on the retail end, you're, it's, it's kind of an initial setup fee that they typically pay, uh, an initial setup fee and then a monthly fee uh, for holding that furniture in the house. And uh, I recommend at least keeping it through the appraisal and that also too, an appraiser walking through your home also needs, believe it or not, I can attest to this after selling probably 200 homes, the homes that are maybe more than that now, but uh, you know, the homes that are staged and look nice tend to get exactly what you want for appraisal or even higher. I've seen some of our properties come in higher uh, just because it looks nice, it smells nice, it it feel it has a nice feel as you're walking through it. So okay, um, cool. Um, I, I, I you we used to pay one percent right around there, three quarter percent to one percent of the listing price. And that would be I, accurate, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes, and we did too. Same thing that you talked about rental prices. Basically, the stager after three months, we got three months of the furniture included in that price, and then after three months, we just had to pay for the rental costs. That she she basically just passed the costs on to us for the yep. rental company, for the rental furniture. So it was some somewhere in like the 200 to 250 range, maybe 300 bucks a month after that, something like that. 
And um, that was what it was for us in uh, Pensacola. For all of you guys out there, just find out what what's the going rate. You can ask other flippers. You can ask uh, stagers. You can go to local kind of RIA groups and things like that on Facebook or in person and uh, and find out what the costs are. What, what do you recommend? Do you stage all your houses? Do you recommend people stage all their houses or the cheaper ones don't stage and the more expensive ones stage? Uh, we probably stage almost we stage almost everything. If it's a smaller house, um, we tend that the tend to do a lighter stage, um, not as big a furniture, maybe just a couple pieces, maybe in the kitchen or uh, living room to kind of give definition. Um, I would say that uh, the one thing that we did do that's actually saved us money when you talk about um, uh, paying for that staging furniture, if you do start bringing this in house, um, we actually just started buying our furniture um, instead of renting it. And then we would move it from house to house to house. <laughs> now, granted, that does also give you storage costs, um, but it, it might work for somebody who's doing this on a bigger scale um, or has something somebody in-house. So, Yep. And if you're doing 30 properties a year, it could yeah. make sense, right? And <clears throat> so think about that. We I always kind of hired it out because I didn't want to deal with storage units, trucks, moving it, those kind of things. The logistics side of it um, for me, but if you're doing um, and and just run the numbers, like what are you going to save versus what's going to cost you? Now you have an asset that you can sell a year from now that you know on Craigslist or uh, a giant furniture sale from your storage unit and make some of that money back. Um, I like staging because primarily for me it was when people walk in, it takes their eyes off of the little imperfections of the house and all those things. It like draws their eyes to the room, like you said, to see how you live. And it's not about hiding stuff, but a flipped house is not, it's not perfect, right? We're taking a house that might be 30, 40, 50 years old even, and we're making it really nice, but it's not going to be a brand new, and even brand new houses aren't perfect. They have a bunch of imperfections. So I try to take their eyes away from the little things, the little details, and look at more of the big picture. And I think furniture really does that. It lets people look kind of like up and out instead of like down and in on these little details or something that we missed. Yeah. We've actually had people who've bought the furniture. So they came, they came in and they loved the furniture and the staging so much. They said, how much for this? And so we just, and it worked out perfect. Then we didn't have to move it again. So couches, we've had chairs. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, it's nice. And then you got another negotiation uh, trick there to use uh, <laughs> to get the price changed. So, um, <clears throat> okay. So staging, uh, we talked about punching out like punch list staging. Um, what else? What are some other things? And, and I guess from a staging standpoint and the punch out, how do you guys, if you're not living in the market of where you're selling those houses, how are you doing that? Are you just, you know, working with a stager over the phone? Are you doing a video walkthrough? How would you recommend actually like uh, doing that? Um, well, uh, one other thing too, just to think about on punch out list, I, I just thought of when you were saying that is also a deep clean before you get staging furniture in there. Um, or even if you're not going to stage to pay someone to do um, a deep clean on the property. Uh, so we started doing that um, because, you know, you got all this construction debris, you've got dust um, and, you know, it just makes a nicer presentation. Um, so we, we did do that. Um, so I've had my cleaning ladies tell me if something's wrong too. Um, so they're one more set of eyes kind of looking at it, um, having the realtor come through the house and make sure that, you know, there isn't things missing, uh, you know, hey, they didn't tighten this door handle or, um, you know, there's paint all over the floor that you can't see maybe visually through, um, uh, through maybe what the contractor walked you through. Uh, so, uh, and then having the stager, obviously they're going to send you photos of what they've done. They're, they're super proud of what they've done. Uh, so that's another big thing is to have them send you photos and do a video walkthrough with you. Yep, the stager, it's interesting you said that. So you got the realtor that has eyes on it, then the cleaners, then the stager, 
And when I was flipping virtually, I would get feedback from my stager, like this house isn't really that clean. Like I'm upset. I actually can't stage it because it's not clean enough for me. I don't want my, all my stuff getting dirty. And, but the contractor told me that it was clean. Yep. So, <laughs> you know, that's, it's the things don't match up. Right. And so when you're virtual, you start getting that. And I was like, what, what do you mean it's dirty? Like, who do I listen to here? And she would send me photos. I'd be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. The cleaners haven't been there. They said that they had been there. So now the stager has to leave the furniture in there, come back another day. I'm, I look like an idiot. And um, so all of these, but it's another set of eyes to make sure that, that it looks good. And the stager will give you feedback too, of like, oh, it's a beautiful house, you know, this, this, and this. Um, okay, so after the staging, what do we do? Uh, so the next thing after the staging uh, is get professional photography. So that is something I see flippers massively lose money on. Um, your first impression with a buyer now is digitally. So um, we per, we pay a professional photographer to come through the house and do uh, photographs um, on my listings in Colorado uh, to make it even better. And we uh, and our listings out here, uh, we do actually a video commercial tour um, where uh, we go through, we have a, the videographer go through the home. He gives a virtual walkthrough tour. This was super awesome for COVID um, because we were able to sell homes virtually uh, without having people having to step foot in them. They could see the house, they understood it. Um, the other thing that we've used previously too is Matterport. You've talked a lot about that um, on some of the other po uh, uh, podcasts that uh, using that Matterport because that buyer, when you're when they're out there looking at your home, they don't want to see your cell phone picture and you in the mirror. Um, I, I can't even tell you how many people, realtors or or flippers, take their own photos and it, the lighting's not right. It doesn't sell your home. It's not going to get those people that huge amount of traffic through the door that we want. So, uh, the photographer's next. <laughs> What is, what is Matterport um, for those that don't, might not know what it is? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Matterport is an incredible walkthrough video that basically you can click um, on the uh, little arrows, I guess you would call them, and it virtually walks you through the property each and every foot um, through the property. We even had it one time where we showed a, there was a closet that like, we didn't realize wasn't paint, like the whole thing wasn't painted and he caught it on the Matterport. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, we got to go back and paint. <laughs> so, um, so, so, you know, there was things that got caught on the Matterport that several people missed, um, even so it, it can be a good uh, tool for that too, I guess. Um, yeah. Almost like a 3d camera and video. So it's, it's yeah. Google just scan the property and you can actually like move and look at your angle. So you can kind of like look up at the ceilings and things a really cool, uh, really cool tool to, to use. And most, a lot of realtors, um, have that tool, they pay for it. Um, then the other option is you can just pay for that. I would say that's probably like an add on feature. If you're going to pay an extra couple hundred bucks for it, um, in today's market, I don't know that it's necessarily a, a must have, but definitely something that could add value to your property. If it's a really high end property, or um, you're not sure if you're going to get a ton of eyes on it, or a lot of people like right now, you said during COVID where people might not want to, they might want more of a virtual walkthrough than actually go set foot in the house. It's a great tool. Um, one thing that came to mind on the deep cleaning, going back to it is uh, replace your HVAC filters. So one thing that I, uh, and it's more from a construction side than anything, but if you had HVAC filters in there while you were doing all the construction, they are completely loaded, I guarantee. And your, your HVAC unit will freeze up. There's a lot of things that could happen um, with your uh, HVAC system because you, you have dust and all kinds of stuff in your filter. Um, so that's one thing that, that I made sure was on my punch list um, that we were changing those out. And then I make sure the cleaner checks it uh, and everybody else that comes back through it. So that kind of bit me in the butt one time and I won't let it happen again. 
Um, so just something to think about that I don't think a lot of us think about. It could be you know hundreds to thousands of dollars of damage and cost uh, to a, potentially an older HVAC system. So, okay, so now we got we got the punch list done. We got the um, staging done, and we got the professional photos done. So how involved are you with the professional photos? Like, are you picking all of your favorite photos? Is the realtor doing that? What would you recommend for somebody? Should they get like deeply involved in it and pick their favorites? Pick which one is, is on the listing or is a good realtor going to handle that for them? A good realtor is probably going to handle that for you. Um, also too, the photographer will send you the best photos. He'll probably go through take 50 and send you about 25. Um, occasionally I've asked for additional photos of something and they'll come back and shoot me another one. Um, if there's something you don't like, um, I've asked photographers to go back and say, hey, absolutely, you missed the beautiful tile that went down the center of this bathtub that I think is really going to sell it. Um, make it, ask them to go back. They usually will. So that's um, uh, the, the a realtor would handle that. Or you can also have them sent directly to you too, as well for your review before publishing. Cool. Yeah. I, I wasn't overly involved in that stuff, but I, what I will say is once the, once the listing is done and the photos are up, I will give a lot of feedback of like, Hey, this, or I'll look at a draft listing usually and approve it. And maybe you're going to talk about that. But when I, when I look at the photos, I say, look, you missed this. There's not enough here. This photo is horrible. Why is this, you know, why is this the main image on, on the, on the listing? Because people might just, they're just going to look at the listing in one photo to draw them in. It's marketing. We've got to spend, a, we spend a ton of time marketing for the, the property. We spend a bunch of time finding the money, marketing for all the money that we use. Uh, then we find, a, we, we're going to spend a bunch of time marketing for this, these buyers. Don't just throw up something and think that people will come. Make sure it's the best listing that's on the MLS and that bring people to you. So, um, all right, we got the photos. What's next? Uh, so after the photos is, uh, you know, handing it off to your realtor uh, to have them get it into the MLS. Uh, also, too, a really good caption is good in the uh, in the uh, wording when you're adding that there. Uh, you want to make sure it's some you're drawing attention to those things in the uh, photo if they are just glancing real quick at the description. Um, so say it has a fantastic pool and your MLS doesn't let you put a pool picture as the first picture. Um, make sure that's the second picture because <laughs> um, some MLSs don't allow you to do that. And uh, and then just describe, you know, how is that person going to live in the property? So like, I'll say something like, um, you know, uh, enjoy a cup of coffee on your, uh, on this beautiful deck or, you know, uh, this entertaining backyard, uh, you know, is great for barbecues, you know, something that will draw them in to kind of like imagine themselves living in that property. Cause you, you have one photo, maybe two, and you've also got a paragraph to describe what that property is, is for, for that particular buyer. So how important is the like property description in the MLS listing and the actual kind of write up for the entire property? I'd say it's pretty important. Um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's as important as the photo, but I would say it's pretty important because if you just have three bedroom, two bath in sunny street, you know, who's gonna, you know, you haven't, you haven't described how that person's gonna live in that house. Um, you haven't made it attractive, so. Yeah, so all this copyright, like it's really important for anything, emails, um, listings, all that stuff. And now. People are definitely buying with their eyes more than they are the paragraphs these days. I think they're looking at the pictures and kind of saying yes or no, like location is important and the photos are going to be important, those kind of things. But once you get down to your three or four, like you really want to sell them, you, you got to get them to the property, right? So this yeah. is a marketing document, marketing piece that gets them to the property and also gets realtors excited to sell it. Like the, the buyer's realtor 
when they read it and look at it, they're out hunting for their clients too, right? So you want to get them excited to show this property. The more the beautiful pictures, like they want to make a commission. They want to sell the property uh, just as much as you do. So making sure that you write it for um, the buyers and also the buyer's realtor to really bring it to them and show it to them. So, um, okay. What other kind of tips and tricks do you have for getting a, a bunch of money for these houses? So I would say next is actually going to be the appraisal. Um, and this is where um, I've, I've had a lot of conversation with um, other members in the group about um, how important you then you've sold it to the buyer. You're under contract now. Now you have to sell it to the appraiser because you might be the top um, listed property in that neighborhood. Typically, um, our flips are either breaking new ground for that neighborhood. Um, and I know a lot of age, you know, and a lot of us are. Um, so what we're trying to do is also uh, give that um, appraiser a letter of description. And so uh, your agent or you personally can either do it either or um, as an agent, I write in there my experience in the area and what I'm seeing is trends in the area. I also write about um, uh, how I came to the number that I came to because you do have to prove your value. Uh, if we are over that value uh, of anything that I can find there, I'm explaining why we should get that value to the appraiser. I'm saying, hey, this has a brand new kitchen. I couldn't find a comp within, you know, within a mile that had a brand new kitchen. This has leathered granite, you know, sell the sell him. Every single outlet has been replaced, you know, sell them as to what you've done. You don't have to list out prices because you don't necessarily want to do that because they'll just say, oh, it's like the space house plus this price, but you can just, you know, let his imagination go on how much you spent on that kitchen, um, but give him a way to add value to other properties so he can sell that price too. So he can write it off and say, hey, I'm comfortable at the value you've given the price and the buyers determined it too. Yeah, I think this is an area that I always um, just let happen. And we've had appraisal issues in the past, um, re recently and in the past few years. I, I actually just had an appraisal done on the property that I bought, the farm, the house, the land, all that stuff. And I just kind of, because I'm getting a line of credit on it. So I'm, I went, I was like, ah, just, just go. I, I can't be there. You can just work with the seller. He's to live in the house. And I didn't think of anything of it. And it came in below the price that I bought it for. Um, I guarantee that I could have sold it for more than the price. Like it's, it's actually worth more than I paid for it. Like yeah. there's so much demand. This is 13 acres in the middle of a neighborhood, basically. Like you could not find this. Everybody that comes there is like, oh my gosh, how did you find this property? And um, so I actually robbed myself a little bit of equity, putting the line of credit on there and not being able to get as much of my cash back out of it that I put into it. So just because I, I just kind of blew it off. I was like, ah, I'm not going to show. I, I'm sure with a little bit of conversation, um, a letter like you're talking about, potentially, I probably could have got it at least to the purchase price, uh, if not a little bit above. And yeah. th that'll that'll eat your lunch. If the appraisal comes in low, especially now, there's not a lot of inventory on the market that, at the time of this recording. Uh, properties are going for $10,000, $50,000 over asking price. And getting them to appraise is the next hurdle. And so... So, so that letter, is there anything else? Like, should they show up? Should they provide comps? Should they do all of that stuff too? Should their realtor be doing that? Should they make sure, like, what's the way to make sure that these appraise? Is it just that cover letter and that uh, description? No, uh, no, absolutely. I, I do also provide comps, but I, I'm going to go reach out even um, beyond the scope of, you know, uh, traditionally you want about a quarter to a half a mile from the house. Uh, but if you uh, if you can't find a house that's fixed up to your level, that's within that little bubble, 
um, I've gone a mile or two out and been able to say, you know what, hey, listen, there is nothing in this neighborhood that is fixed up to the level that I fixed this property up. And by showing them, you by giving them that information, you've now given them something to look at versus them just looking in their little quarter eight, you know, quarter mile circle and going, ah, you know, I can add, you know, 20 grand for that, you know, um, you're selling the house to them. So uh, your realtor should be pulling comps um, to give to them that, that qualify for this house. Absolutely. Uh, and if you have, a, if, if you've hired a disc, you know, someone uh, who's not doing that for you, find another realtor like that on the next deal. This, you should be asking for that. That's part of their job. Uh, sometimes people want to go with a discount, discounting somebody's commission and sometimes they they get what they bargain for. So I would say, uh, you know, just a shout out to the realtors out there <laughs> that sometimes, uh, yeah, I mean, you, if you're doing multiple deals with someone, obviously that, you know, you should be working a little bit on commission, but um, uh, you should also be paying that commission in order to, uh, you know, to get somebody who has a lot of knowledge in that area too. Because I think a lot of realtors will stick a sign in your yard and be happy to get the leads that come from it. And I think that there are a lot of realtors out there who can do so much more for you. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we need to dive into that. But one thing I want to cover, I want to make sure that we cover is um, we talked about the appraisals, but the lender and when you, when, you get, when you get all these offers, so we got people that are coming in and we're starting to negotiate on offers or at a time like right now, maybe you have an entry level price home and you're getting 30, 40 offers today. Like, and when you listen to this, it might not be the case, but right now it is. There's hardly any inventory. You get a ton of offers. And so now you got to really look and read these things and find out what's best. So there's different types of loans, there's terms, there's conditions, there's all that stuff. So mm -hmm. let's maybe we talk about like one thing, there's a couple things that I want to get into. One is the title company that closes the property or the attorney, like who sure. controls that? The, the lender, like who, what, what, who the lender is, are they local? Are they known, unknown, those kind of things. And then the type of loan that the, that the buyer's getting. So I think all these three things play very, very closely in an offer negotiation for me, at least in my experience in the past with houses that I flipped. So maybe you can talk a little bit about all those things. Absolutely. Uh, so when we do get multiple offers on a property on our flips, um, we are evaluating loan type and who can qualify. Uh, so one thing to think about too is, is that uh, with an FHA loan, um, you do have to, especially if you flipped that value um, uh, pretty significantly, you're going to have to wait about 90 days uh, before you can get that appraisal. So if you flipped it quickly and it's doubled in price, you're going to wait 90 days to go ahead, you know, from the time you bought it to the time that that property can even get an appraisal on it. Um, so that's one thing that we've, we found with the FHA uh, loans. If you, you know, obviously if you go beyond that, it doesn't matter, but if you uh, that's a consideration for us. Um, VA does not have that guideline. So um, we've actually sold a majority of our homes, uh, almost half our homes last year were sold to VA buyers just for that very reason. Um, the other half were conventional or cash. Um, and with conventional and cash, obviously, uh, the conventional buyer has a little more room to play. So if that appraisal value does come in low, uh, they might be able to bring cash to the table to make up that difference of that price. So if they're offering $10,000 over and it only appraises, you know, um, uh, like 5,000, it appraises $5,000 less, you can go back to that buyer and say, Hey, listen, you're putting 50 grand down. Um, can you, uh, can we renegotiate? You know, I, I'd like you to continue to move forward and uh, want to make sure that that value is there. So bring the, bring the difference back. 
Yep. So FHA buyers typically don't have any money and they have poor credit. That's usually, or they're just looking for a low down payment. That could be the case too. Yep. But if somebody's yep. qualifying for FHA, um, there's also there's also like no money down conventional loan products still right now as a time or low percentage down a lot like FHA. But FHA usually has a, a lower FICA requirement. Um, so they might have bad credit and not be able to uh, qualify for some of the low down payment conventional loans. Um, v, uh, VA buyers are military buyers. So if you're in a big military town, but that is 100% financing, up to 100%. Um, USDA is, could also be popular in your area. In Pensacola, it was. There are certain areas that um, the USDA did 100% financing loans. We've done a couple of those. Uh, FHA is usually like the biggest thorn in my side just because they have this 90-day anti-flip rule like you talked about. And we've done a couple of them. But usually, it, the problem isn't the loan type. It's usually the, the person getting the loan. Uh, I found that they're not they're a less qualified buyer because they either have low credit, bad credit, um, poor job history, um, don't make as much money, these kind of things. And that buyer is just not as solid as somebody who's already pre-qualified for a conventional loan or potentially even a VA loan. And so the VA loans were a little bit tougher for us because um, there's some different needs and inspections, like they can uh, there's a WDO requirement, wood destroying organism for us. Um, so a, a couple other mandatory inspections that the VA puts on it, and it's usually takes a little bit longer to get the loan closed than a conventional loan. I, I really love conventional and cash, obviously, um, <laughs> because conventional loans a little bit more like they could buy it as is with a conventional loan as long as it meets the pretty much the requirements. So a lot of our wholesale deals um, where we're just you know buying them and they're they're just enough to get a loan. I wouldn't you'd normally take an FHA or maybe even a VA loan. I'm looking for cash or conventional buyer on stuff like that. They're fully fixed up. Usually you don't have a, a big problem with it. But I agree. All of those things are big factors. And for me, I always want to control the title company. Like I, in, in Florida, um, there's a box that you can check that says buyer pays the closing costs and picks the company. Seller picks the company, the closing company and the buyer and the or seller, seller picks and pays, buyer picks and pays or uh, buyer picks and seller pays. So, so I never accept that one. It, no. I, I always want to control the deal. Like I'm doing one right now and we're selling the house that, um, that I bought back in the, uh, in the lawsuit that I talked about on a podcast and they got hit by a hurricane recently. And so I'm selling it as is now we're working on that. And, um, I'm going to control the title company because I'm going to go with one that I know they give me discounted rates, but they'll also tell me what's going on with the transaction because we have a relationship. And uh, I don't, I've worked with other title companies that I don't know, and I don't get good communication. I don't understand what's happening. They're not checking in on the lender. I'm not getting updates, all that stuff. So um, those are kind of my three things that I really look for. Um, and maybe an EMD down payment, how much are they bringing to the table? Are they, are they negotiate? Like what other terms and conditions do they have on the contract? Uh, stuff like that. It just how, how needy is the buyer in the beginning? That's usually for me how it goes. Yeah, and I find too that the title company, um, if you're using the same title company that you closed with in the beginning, um, they will also give you a, a, a credit. Um, each each state calls it a different thing, um, but they'll usually uh, do uh, hold open the title work uh, and give you a credit because they're you know close you're closing with them again. So we find that that's also a bonus on our end if if we get uh, a little bit off uh, when we close. I've also had luck sending that my title policy to another uh, title company and getting the same uh, credit. So if you guys ever have to go to another company, it's possible to get that same credit. And what that is, is just a lender's uh, title policy, the insurance. And you say, look, I, I just want to reissue. 
So they give you a reissue credit in Florida, at least, and, and a couple other states. So uh, usually it's about a year uh, in most of the places that I've been. So if I got title insurance in last year, then they'll just reissue it because they've already, they've already done that. At the same title company, way easier than trying to go through another title. Because title company makes money on their, their title insurance yeah. and things like that. So that's, that's a lot of how they make their money as long with fees and things like that. Um, okay, what, what else? What are some other tips and tricks that... Um, and uh, pretty much all this stuff is done. I mean, you don't go in person for a lot of this stuff anyway. So yeah. the walkthroughs, the photos, those kind of things are really the virtual difference and finding these title companies, finding these uh, photographers, what are some ways to find those people, the stagers, the title companies, the, um, um, I don't know, information about appraisers, stuff like that? Um, so as far as photographers go, um, I just reached out to, uh, originally I reached out to the realtors in this area, um, where I was moving to and said, Hey, who do you have? Who do you like? Um, and can you show me their listing? Um, and so I ended up going through probably about, um, probably about four or five interviews. The first guy I hired was, was not as good as he said he was going to be. Um, the, the third, I think it was like the third guy who I finally got to and saw his book of work. Um, he just knocked my socks off right when, you know, he did his job, he came out, he featured everything that we asked for. Uh, and most of that was all done remotely. Um, so that was, that was really nice. He just showed me a good product. Uh, the other thing, um, with, uh, finding, um, a good realtor in the area. I would also say just really look for somebody who uh, is already marketing their properties the way that you would like it to be uh, marketed. So if you're interviewing realtors, show them how, say, how are you marketing your properties? You know, if they're standing in the bathroom taking a photograph, you know what their quality is going to be. You don't want that type of quality for this, this investment that you're putting your money into. Um, if they're, you know, how do they handle open houses? Are they doing extra things to sell your property and market it? Are they uh, networking with other realtors to, to sell the property? I mean, obviously we don't have that issue now, but there was a time <laughs> when you did have to have um, broker opens to show, showcase the house. Um, so, so those are some really uh, big things. Um, I would say also to just uh, the title company, uh, find somebody who's investor friendly. Um, we did go through a couple title companies till we found this one, but we went through our, uh, just some Facebook pages asking who everybody was using for their title company. And we found uh, one who is extremely reasonable. Uh, she's also great with all my um, sellers when we purchase the property. She also is, will reach out to them, check in on them. So she goes uh, above and beyond because we're bringing her a lot of business, so. Yep. There's uh, tons of Facebook groups. There's tons of RIA groups, lots of different ways. Find out what, and like you said, look at what, look at what their listing photos look like. That's a, it's a great, uh, a great way. Of, or if you see a, a listing that looks really good, then yeah. figure out who, who photographed that, who do they use? They're usually happy to share. Um, the, the, there's a couple other things that we didn't mention. One is the home inspection. And yes. uh, so there's a couple things that are just some hoops that you're going to have to jump through. Um, yeah. One one tip that I want to leave everybody with that I learned the hard way is nobody really cares about closing timeline other than you as the investor. You have all these holding costs, you have all this stuff. So one thing that we started doing on our flips was um, when we we're negotiating the, the price, if they have a 45 day close and we agree to that, like what I care about is I care about the net profit to me. So how much? What's the what's the purchase price? What how many am I paying closing costs for them? What are they asking for in concessions? Um, the title company, who's going to be the title company, what closing costs am I going to pay for in that? What's the inspection dates? What's the closing date? 
And then what's the loan product? Like those are pretty much, that's pretty much like the big picture for me. Uh, any other addendums or things that they're asking for that are kind of strange uh, or special inspections. But for me, that, um, that timeline of closing is really important because it might cost me 50 to $100 a day to hold the property. I've got taxes, I've got insurance, I've got hard money loans potentially or, or uh, private lenders. I've got uh, utility bills. I've got uh, got to cut the grass, got all this stuff. And they don't care if they close on 45 days or on 60 days. Like yeah. they're just, oh, sorry, we're not closing today. It's going to be another week. Uh, yeah. A week later, uh, we're still waiting on the lender. The appraisal is not back. Uh, the survey's not in because their surveyors have so much, they're so busy. Like, I don't care. It's not my problem. It's your problem as the buyer. Right. So what we did was we started putting in a fee per day. So we, I'd say, look, okay, I'll use it as a negotiation tool. Um, if I got 30 offers, then I say, fine, but you have to close on this date. And if you don't, here's my hard costs. My hard costs are $75 a day. So any day that you close after that date, you can close, you know, you, you can have an extension. That's fine. But it's going to cost you $75 a day to make that extension. And what that did was it forced them to close on time or pay a fee for not closing on time. So, um, and we're not making money on that. It's just the fact that, look, I've got all these holding costs. We calculated, here it is. And we would put it in there. And if they balk on that, I bet if you have 30 offers right now, I bet there's dozens of people that'd be like, all right, yeah, we'll take that to win this, this battle right now. So investors, if you're listening, that's something that I would highly recommend that you do in a market where it is a seller's market like it is right now. And maybe not in a buyer's market, but think about that. Because how many times, if you look at your last 20 or 30 flips that you did in the last few years, how many times did, this, did the buyer close on time? And right. who cares? Who else cares? Does your realtor care? Does their realtor care? Does the appraiser care? The servant? No, nobody cares but you. Because you're the one paying for it. And it costs you thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars every year to your bottom line as an investor for that. So that's probably the biggest tip that I can give those out there. Just, just realize... Usually it's like a give and a take. I, I work it into a negotiation. It's like, fine, if you want to do a 45-day close and you can't do 30-day, that's fine. I'll, I'll accept that. But you're going to pay $100 a day if you close any, any day after 45 days. And we write it into the contract as part of the, the notes there at the bottom. So that's one thing that we did. And it saved us a bunch of money because it was costing us a lot of money that we didn't realize. Um, so that's the biggest tip that I've got for anybody listening. Any other like big tips that you have? Yeah. Actually, now that you said that too, one other thing um, is uh, vetting the lender. Um, so that's one thing I do is I vet the lender. Um, you just kind of reminded me of that right there. If we do have multiple offers on the property, we're vetting the lender. Um, how many times I've asked them, you know, how many deals are you closing on time? Um, how many, you know, how approved is this buyer? I make sure that that buyer is absolutely, you know, have you uh, viewed assets, income? Um, where are you at on on, on that buyer uh, providing you documentation and how long is your underwriting taking? So I'm vetting that that agent too, because it may not be, I mean, the, the lender too, because it may not be the best deal if the lender's like, yeah, it's taken us 45 days. And, you know, I've got three other offers that can close, you know, somebody else who can close it in 30. Um, on inspection, one thing that we started doing um, uh, to help us out too, uh, doing this virtually was to do a uh, post inspection, pre inspection. Um, so our home, we've uh, paid to do this before, is to have a home inspector come out. He doesn't charge us very much um, because we, once again, we're giving him the business um, and go ahead and do an inspection um, prior to us listing. That way, we know if there's anything that our contractors missed that we can have them come back and fix. Um, or if there's something we missed um, that, uh, that, that maybe we want to do. The nice thing about that has been that we've been able to give that to buyers and say, hey, is there something on here you'd like us to correct? 
or hey, we did correct these items, and then we're past inspection already. Uh, so then we're just saying, okay, order the appraisal, let's go, let's get this thing wrapped up quickly. Yeah, I love that. I mentioned WDO, we did that on our properties. We were having trouble with WDO inspections, these you know, termites, wood yes. rot, stuff like mm -hmm. that in Florida. And so we always did a pre-WDO inspection and fixed all that stuff. But what's interesting is every inspector will find other things, like they yeah. justify <laughs> the cost of their inspection based on what they find. Um, if there's any home inspectors listening, I, I apologize, but it seems like that's what happens. Very frustrating as a flipper. Um, and, and one of the reasons why I went into wholesaling. Um, but <laughs> We, we did that to, to make sure that there wasn't any like big things that happened. So we would actually do one before we started so that we would, so we, they could find anything that we would have to fix, maybe under the crawl space and stuff like that. A lot of times we'd have to spray or, or encapsulate some stuff. And then, um, and then afterwards, and then again, the, usually the buyer would uh, do them or they would accept ours. And that was completely passed and stamped and everything was done. So uh, a couple of great tips for you guys. I mean, this has been loaded with information. Uh, I know that we could talk for another hour on on this stuff, but I think um, like we've we've hit a lot of really good points. And I know that it, it doesn't matter if you're going virtual. Like after we were halfway through this, I'm like, this is just the way to get the most money that you can for your houses in today's market. And a lot of really great tips here and a lot of things that that most people that are listening probably aren't doing. And even some of the bigger flippers, I bet that, that could probably grab one or two things from here that is going to make them an extra 10, 20, $30,000 this year. And that's what this podcast is all about in, in our, our groups, events, and everything that we do. Uh, like, how can we just give away the information so that you guys can use it? So um, before we go, uh, just one minute, I want to ask you, what's okay. changed? What do you feel like has been the biggest catalyst of doing nine deals, like buying nine properties last year, and then having 10 in the works right now and trying to buy 30 this year? Like, what has been that one thing that has gotten you from three houses in the three years before to nine purchased last year to 10, you're actively working on 10 and trying to get to 30 this year. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, it has been joining a group of people who um, have allowed us to expand our mind on, um, on what's possible. I think we were really limited in our belief of what we could do in one year um, until we saw, uh, we joined a group where there's like all these other people doing these amazing things. And there was no limit there. It just put no limiting belief into us that we couldn't do it ourselves. We're like, Oh, and then we also had systems and processes. Um, that was one of my big reasons for actually, uh, signing up, uh, for the group is because I was like, Oh, these are just podcasts. Um, my husband was like, wanted to join your group like three years before. And I'm like, it's just a podcast. And, uh, I, I finally went to Flip Hacking Live. He brought me there and I saw that um, you guys had the systems and processes to teach how we can go from point A to point B. Um, and then uh, we joined accountability groups right off the bat when we uh, joined the group. And those accountability groups have kept us accountable to what we said we're going to do, which I think like as entrepreneurs, we, we, we're accountable to ourselves. Oh, you know, like, what is that? Like, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have like, okay, how do we get from point A to point B? You know, like, how do we, how do we, um, how do we grow in this business? And what does that really look like? What's our time frame? People really have sat down and helped us figure out, okay, how is this time frame supposed to work? And even by doing that, we were able to do last year, we did a seven day flip. And I mean, it was like, <laughs> I would have never, if you told me the year before, I would have said, no way, we, no one can flip a house in seven days. And Tyler Jensen opened it up and said, 
yes, you can, you know, here's the steps on how to do it. And um, we pre-plan while we were under contract, we, it was a vacant house. So we were able to pre-plan every step of the way of what we were going to do, have the materials delivered and executed on it. So I think just honestly having the surrounding yourself with a tribe of people who um, really don't have a limiting mindset has been huge for us. Yeah, I can basically mirror that exact thing from when I joined initially. So um, it's awesome. I'm really excited for you guys. And uh, are you having more fun? Are you still having fun? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have, there's the women's group and there's, uh, you know, and then I uh, have the accountability group with my guys. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun and we've got a lot of, uh, go to a lot of really cool places. Um, so we did the cruise last year and uh, that was a lot of fun. So we got to do a lot of uh, cool masterminds, which is great. So I think that's a, a lot of exciting, uh, a lot of exciting things. So nice mindset is so important. Like the way the story that we tell ourselves in our head and just, it keeps, it's on a loop all the time. And if we say we can, what, what is it? Uh, Henry Ford, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. It's yeah. like one of my favorite quotes. So it's just, it's just changing the way that we think and the way that we show up each day. So um, if you listen to this podcast, then uh, I'd invite you to join us. You know, you can go to sevenfigurealtitude.com, fill out an application, check it out. Um, or, you know, you can keep listening to this podcast for three years, like, uh, like Therese made Robert do and, uh, and just delay your timeline from going from three deals in uh, three years to then nine and 30 and who knows the sky's the limit for you guys. I'm really excited for you and, and bringing in your kids and watching that. I watched your 500 K challenge videos and your seven day yeah. flip and all the stuff you guys were doing. Um, you guys jump into everything and that's, that's also important. Um, yeah. just, you know, paying Paying $25,000 for a mastermind is one thing, but actually like doing it and, and, and showing up and, and being involved and, and getting, getting in there. That's, that's the key. Like for me, it was, I'm going to suck that money right back out and get my return on my investment in month one and, um, and work really hard to do it and get involved and be there and show up and all that stuff. So where can people find out more about you guys if they want to get involved and maybe they have a house to sell in Colorado, or maybe yeah. they have a house to sell down in Florida, or they want to invest with you guys, where, what would be the best way to get a hold of you? That would be fantastic. Um, once again, you mentioned 500k challenge. I am in the middle of doing that. So, uh, so if anybody would like to invest with us, we'd love to love to partner with some, uh, some really great people out there. Um, you could reach us, uh, you can reach out on Facebook, um, at, uh, at Coastal Mountain Homebuyers. Uh, you could also reach out on Facebook at Anderson Alliance team, um, with Keller Williams. Uh, the other way to reach us, uh, you could do, uh, send an email to homesbytherese at gmail.com if you'd like to get in touch with us that way. Um, and yeah, we're, we're really excited. We're, we've uh, had a great time, like you said, with our kids. Uh, uh, my oldest daughter's our marketing gal. She, uh, she's doing that and going to college. Uh, and then Hannah's on our team doing the, um, the project management with her boyfriend, Javi. And Robert. And so, and then we have our two other ones who pitch in. So yeah, it's a family, uh, a family, uh, you know, certainly a family business. So, um, that's cool. Um, I can't wait till my kids get a little bit older and want to, hopefully they want to jump in with dad and, uh, be part of some <laughs> of the businesses and do stuff. So right now they get paid for some marketing assets, photos, stories, videos, all the things that, that they get to do and be a part of and me tell their stories on the podcast and use their images and make videos at flip hacking live and all that stuff. So uh, hopefully, yeah. as they get older, they'll be able to actually swing some hammers, do some work. Right now, Will is going to be collecting eggs from the chickens, helping out with the stalls and the uh, horses and delivering some of the produce to the yeah. neighborhood and selling stuff out front. So, uh, Therese, thank you so much. What? 
say one other thing too. We're also hiring too. So I, I just want to shout that out because uh, uh, we're growing our team too. So whether it be a realtor or if you are looking to uh, do acquisitions or uh, admin, um, I'm throwing that out there because I, I, I have, uh, that is also another thing on part of my, my accountability group is to do uh, to hire. So I'm going to throw that out there just because I, we need help with that too. So I'm glad you did because it, it's definitely, it was the easy market and we'll probably do something on this because uh, we're hiring at seven figure flipping too. I'm looking for a COO. We're hiring, we're hiring four positions right now at seven figure flipping. And we've been, we've been spending a ton of money on indeed. We've been running ads. We've been interviewing people just haven't been finding the right fit. And it's, it's interesting because the market has changed a lot since we were hiring people in 2020. And I think, I think some of that is happening. People are like not showing up for interviews, blowing us off, things like things that just weren't happening before we had tons of candidates. So there's definitely a shift in the marketplace right now for a great talent. So uh, any time that you guys can share that or bring it up. So Therese and her team would be awesome to work with. If you're a realtor or um, you want to work with their flipping team, reach out to them and take them up on that. Especially if you're starting to learn, you're getting, um, you're building your portfolio, all that stuff, especially as an agent. Um, there's not a better person to, to work with uh, than, than these two. They're absolutely amazing. So, all right, Therese, thank you so much. We dropped a ton of gold bombs on this one. I know that this is going to be one of the, the highly rated podcasts. If you guys love what we're doing, give us a rating and review. And, uh, and let us know what you think. Go to iTunes, tell Therese how awesome she is. Uh, give us a five-star or whatever you think that you should give us. And uh, if you're ready to, to check out the mastermind, we've got a Cancun trip coming up that you might still be able to sneak into. Go to sevenfigurealtitude.com and fill out an application. We'll uh, see you there. Therese, thank you so much. Bye. Great. Thanks, Bill. What if you could raise $500,000 of private capital in the next 30 days to fund your real estate deals? How would that change your business? How would that change your life? I've put together a 30-day challenge that will walk you through how to get access to all the private funding you'll ever need at incredibly low interest rates on your terms when you need it. It's called the 500K Challenge. This is the same system I've used to raise over $15 million the past few years. And you're not just going to learn how to raise it. You're going to actually start finding this money yourself within the next 30 days as you go through the challenge. This is the single most important skill any real estate investor needs to have, whether you're flipping houses, buying multifamily properties, wholesaling, or anything else. Jump in and start raising private money now at 500kchallenge.com. I'll see you guys on the inside.